want to thank you for joining us at Cowboy Junction Church today. As you hear this message, we pray that your faith will grow and you will be both encouraged and challenged. We would really love it too if you would subscribe, rate, review, and share this online. You can also help us reach others by partnering with us financially. You can easily give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift at cowboyjunctionchurch.com slash give. We hope you enjoy the message today. When it comes to faith, a lot of us have a dip-our-toes-in-the-water approach. If you show me how it will work, I can get in. Stronger faith takes the cannonball approach. Jump in feet first and figure out the temperature later. enjoyed being in this series. It's a time that we're all stopping and we're talking about our faith and we're asking for our faith to go deeper, get stronger. We're asking for our faith to believe more. So wherever you fall in the whole faith scale, okay, maybe you're just new at this and you're just trying to figure some things out. Believe is something that you're struggling with. I I believe, but I've got some buts. You know, I'm 75 believe, 25%. What about this? You're, You're still okay. I'm still asking you to let your faith get stronger. If you're here and you're completely Christ-following, uh, I just want to sharpen the path that you're on to ask every one of us, even if we're at the scale of I'm, I'm following Christ, I'm a Christ follower, I, I want us to always be aware that our faith will be stretched. Our faith will be asked to do things that you don't have the ability to do, always. That's the whole thing about faith. Faith is always asking you to do something you don't have the ability to do but to trust God in doing something that he's asking you to do, okay? So in it, I think that's something worth praying about, that not one of us sits here and thinks we have it figured out. Not one of us sits here and thinks that, uh, that listen, I, roses opens in an hour, so maybe I can get there early. Let's just, calm, let's just calm our souls. Let's quicken our spirits. Let's think that God in this time right now is a such a time as this moment, Let's look view it from this standpoint. He couldn't wait to talk to you about what we're going to talk about today. Does that sound fair? Okay. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, I stretch my hands out towards you in a complete surrender pose so that I can, can just represent with my body what I know in my heart that I am nothing without you. And Jesus, as I, as I stretch my hands out towards you, I also now stretch my hands out towards every person within the sound of my voice, listening to this message. And I pray today that you would open our ears to hear, to speak to us in the place that we are in our life right now about who we are in you and what you're asking us to be. Jesus, I pray for every disciple heart in this room, every heart, every person, every soul, every spirit, every mind, that we would have the desire to be a follower of you, a disciple of Christ Jesus. Show us what this means. We love you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Uh, Last week, the last point that I had for you in stronger prayer was stronger fasting. Stronger fasting is something that I kind of, at the end, kind of encouraged everyone. That is a, a type of prayer that is a, a deeper prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus tells us to pray. But I, I thought I'd just stop for a moment and just kind of give you a personal testimony uh, about the struggle of p- just putting together last week's message for me. I, I'm not a good faster. 
The reason why, because I like food so much, okay? One of the big reasons that I fail at fasting is because I get hungry. (laughs) Do you like the honesty of your pastor? Yeah, okay, so let's just be real here, okay? Uh, Over the years, over the last year and a half, my, my battle with food has gotten a lot better. And the whole reason is because working out has been really great for me. You have to make this decision. Do, do you, do you want to work this hard and eat that? Or all of a sudden, uh, here, here's one of the biggest things. At, at CrossFit, one of the things we do is we row. Well, there's a counter on the rower when it's telling you how many calories you've rowed. Okay? And you're sitting there and you're rowing these calories and you, you swear that you have burned 2,000 calories to only look on the screen and see you've, you've, you've burned 30. And, and seriously, you ought to try it someday. You ought to really sit down and eat a Snickers. Eat a Snickers. I'm telling you, you ought to eat one. Count the calories on the Snickers. Then go to the rower and row the amount of calories you just ate in that little bitty Snicker. And with every row you make, that little bitty Snicker keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and those kind of things really sets in your heart. And you won't forget when I, I, I realized, you know, how many miles is this piece of bread I'm eating? I, I, I don't want to, this isn't guilt trip day, okay? I'm telling you, the battle of the, over food has really been something in the last year and, ha- and a half. I have to ask myself, why, why are you eating that? Are you eating that mindlessly? Or is there a purpose behind it? Are you drinking that mindlessly? Or are you drinking that for a reason? If you had a choice, why are you choosing that when you could choose this? And it's been this year and a half, I'm telling you, a year and a half struggle with, with, with this reevaluation of why I do things. It's really not even a reevaluation of food. It's really a re- reevaluation of unconscious behavior that you are doing. Now I go into... Uh, I can't just preach on fasting without actually have fasted. And so I sat down, and we've, we've won this battle over food. Uh, I'm a lot better place in life than I ever have been. And, and so now we're going to fast. And so I woke up that morning and go work out and then come out of the workout and normally stop by Starbucks and pick up some coffee, and I don't. Usually come home, fix my, my eggs, and, and I don't. Uh, usually about 10.30ish. I have a, a protein shake, and I don't. Around 12, I've, I've got my chicken breast and my asparagus, and this time I don't. And my body starts catching on around 11.45. And I get hit with this horrible headache. I mean the kind of headache where it starts right here. And then it makes a friend right there. And then it decides to go journeying to the front of my eyes, and I get this headache behind my eyes, probably close to what some people would call a migraine. And I had, I had to literally cancel all my stuff in the afternoon to just be able to go lay down to try to get over this stinking migraine in the middle of me trying to do something for Jesus. You want to talk about the chatterbox and the voices in your head when you're trying to do something for Jesus and then all the whys. Why, why, why does this happen to you when you decide to fast? Where's God when here you are reaching out to him? Let's go get a snack. I think you should eat something right now. You know what would make you feel better? A Snickers. 
Listen, if, 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 if you think you've got it all together, let me just stop and tell you that, that one, of the, one of the things you realize in fasting is, is just how uncontrollable your thought life can be when it's tested. And testing is a huge part of fasting. So, so let me just tell you right, right now that about one, I finally just had to throw in the towel. I, uh, I took my migraine medicine, got to feeling a little bit better, but I had a little coffee, and my, 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 my pain went away. And I began to do some research on fasting, and, and, and this guy that I'm following that, that is really giving me a great advice on fasting, uh, from everything from uh, how to keep your breath from smelling, yeah, no joke, when you fast, the acids in your stomach create, create horrible smells, okay? And, and you can be living for Jesus and have the worst breath. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, this, this is all the thing. And he says, listen, you need to take alfalfa tablets. And you allow, allow the alfalfa tablets to, to go to work in your stomach. And this will counteract, and you will find that you'll have fresher breath. And it, <laughs> Who'd have thought? That's great. But he's giving such great advice on stuff like bad breath. Surely he's got something for bad headaches. And so I go to his portion of the chapter that talks about if you have headaches, this is what you ought to do, and this is why it's happening. And it literally says, if you're suffering headaches from fasting, there's nothing you can do about it. There's just too many toxins in your body. Oh, well, great. (laughs) Great. But, But let's read into that. What are toxins? And he goes on and he says, you probably have to condition your body before you start a fast. You, you probably need to deal with your addiction to coffee. You probably need to deal with your addiction to sugar. You probably need to deal with your addiction to uh, anything that as you say no to it, your body doesn't fight you so much as you say yes to the things God wants you to say yes to. Which started this whole process. Now, now I'm started completely over. I haven't lost this battle. I've actually gained some great information. This all plays into today's message, so just go with me here. It's now this moment to where I can't just jump into a fast. Just the same way you just can't jump into where God wants you to be. Sometimes you've got to count the cost before you make the decision. Come on, let's think about this. Why have so many people quit in the middle of doing what God's called them to do? Because they didn't know it was going to be this painful. They didn't know it was going to cost this much. They didn't know it was going to hurt this bad. And they didn't know it was going to be maybe this scary. And the same with fasting, that I truly want to be a good faster. And I've covered so much ground. But there's this little bit left, little bit, little bit left of, well, what do we do now about coffee? If my body wants it that bad and expects it at 6.30 every morning, 7 o'clock every morning, well, maybe we can make some adjustments. And some adjustments have to be made for us to do what God's asking us to do. Same thing with sugar. Same thing with food. It's this whole introduction that I want to bring into today's message. And to be where God wants you to be, are you willing to be a stronger disciple before you go to where he calls you to go. Because, of course, he's going to call you to where he wants you to go. But not everybody goes. 
Not everybody's willing to pay the cost. Not everybody's willing to go the distance. But those who are, you know what they're called? Disciples. Those who turn and say, I'm willing, Lord. I think one of the coolest studies you could do is to recognize that Jesus had 70 disciples. 70 people following him. But when it all boiled down to it, there was 12. There was only 12 that he saw were willing to go where he wanted them to go, to do what he called them to do, to be who he called them to be. One of them turned out to be a traitor, but the 11 proved that not everybody can do this. And the question I want to ask is, well, why? Why? Today I want to talk to you in the stronger faith message. What does stronger discipleship look like? I want you to take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 14, verse 25. This is where Jesus addresses the issue of discipleship. Now, let me just throw a disclaimer. Everybody listen to me. Everybody online, listen to me very closely. This may be your first time at Cowboy Junction. You may think, man, that's, that's a deep message. That's a hard message he just preached. Just go with me here because the fact is that sometimes you've got to go deep. You've got to go where it hurts. Uh, same thing here. Everybody within the room, this is a moment for us to do some self-inspection, uh, uh, some inspection on our lives to really take a look at the, the whole issue, it, it's going to be kind of like me fasting. It, didn't, it may not go the way you think it's going to go today, but that's okay. Just wrestle with it. Figure out. Ask yourself, why did I have a problem with that? Because this portion of Scripture we're about to read are the words of Jesus, and this portion we're about to read ran people off the day he spoke it. Okay? Let me give you a little idea here. Okay? Jesus has assembled quite the crowd. There are thousands upon thousands of people literally following him everywhere he goes. Jesus here is speaking directly to them, and he notices that not all of them are here for the right reasons. Um, most of them are here because he performs great miracles. Most of them are here because they give, get free meals. I mean, right in the middle of the message, Jesus breaks out with fish and loaves. I mean, you can't beat a deal like that. That's pretty cool. Most people here are just excited because if he is the Messiah, he's going to overthrow Rome very soon. And so we're ready for a political uprising. Jesus, man, bring it on. Make things right. Defeat the man. Okay? But Jesus turns, and in spite of all these people following him for so many reasons, in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned to them and said, this is what he said, Now great, uh, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear the cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Next verse. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able when 10,000 to with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 
Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. And then the very last verse. This is the synopsis we all need to take a look at. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Three times in this portion of Scripture, Jesus says, cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple. He makes it very clear that he's talking about people who cannot be his disciple. If you kind of read this and kind of get lost a little bit, maybe a little frustrated, remember that there's thousands and thousands and thousands following him. And Jesus is narrowing this down to he's looking for quality over quantity. And if we had to think about this, this is what it boils down to. While every disciple is a believer, not every believer is a disciple. So let's think about this for a minute. We're talking about stronger discipleship in a series we're calling Stronger Faith. And before we make a decision, do we count the cost? Before we step into where God wants us to be, do we really sit down and think about just how painful this could be? And let me just tell you, you could be in pain right now, wondering if you made the right decision. I want to turn to you and say, just because it's painful doesn't mean you made a wrong decision. Just because it hurts doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. You could be right where you're supposed to be. But the real test is, while every disciple is a believer, not every believer is a disciple. And that's something you really have to wake out in your, in your spirit or not, whether you believe that or not. Because now all of a sudden, following Jesus is actually following Jesus. Three times he says, you cannot be not my disciple. In verse 26, he brings up that discipleship will test what you love the most. Did you hear what it says? You can't be my disciple unless you hate your father, unless you hate your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters. yes and his own life also. The word hate here is very powerful, and it throws a lot of people off. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, you can cross-reference this. The same word is used, and it really means to have a lesser love for. But I love that it translates it hate, because it really gets us down to the heart of what matters the most. As hard as it sounds, If you were to serve Jesus, but your mother told you to do something else, and you loved your mother more than Jesus, are you a Christ follower by doing what she tells you to do instead of what God is telling you to do? Same thing goes for a boss. If you honor and respect your boss more than you honor and respect your Lord, are we really a Christ follower? This is a moment that even for kids, and kids are beautiful, kids are incredible, but nothing can mess up your life more than having kids. They're the priority. They're the focus. They're the attention getters. No one can hit your button like they can. No one can scream as loud as they can. Kids, we love you. And I just want you to know we love you, we love you, we love you. But our life, we used to be cool before you came along. (laughs) We used to be so cool. Let me just tell you, for some of you, you need to walk into class and look at the coolest kid in class and realize that that was me once. That, that That was me. And you ruined that. I had to make a decision. We all had to make decisions. 
Are we going to prioritize our children? Yes, yes, our kids are that important. We believe that our children has a calling of God on their life for the next generation that's to come. And you became a priority in our life. We shifted everything for you. We even drove minivans for you. But it's this thing that we had to sit down and ask ourselves one day, okay, are, are we going to allow our kids to rule us or are we going to serve the Lord? It's something I tell parents all the time. And parents, this is a little, little quick recap on, on parenting. You are never called to be your kid's best friend. You're not called to be your kid's best friend. And some people say, well, I want my kids to love me. I want, I want to be my kid's best friend. And see, that's that moment that you, know, you, you should hate your child and love God more. And what this means is, is that my best parenting for my children is when I put God before even them. And to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and you will too. Does this make sense? This is a lot to think about. In verse 27, you see that discipleship is it's going to be hard. Verse 27, it says, For which among you, when you build a building, build a tower, do not sit down and first count the cost. This is going to be hard. Oh, excuse me. In verse 27, it says, Whoever does not bear the cross and come after me cannot be to my disciple. The cross is a... Is a tool of torture. And do you know that following Jesus can be one of the most painful experiences? You will lose friends. You, you, will, lose, you will lose folk. You will lose your dreams. But you will gain the kingdom of God. In fact, let me go as far to say this, that the people that are dis very disappointed in your decision to follow Jesus are the very people who are watching you follow Jesus, and it could cause them to follow Jesus one day. And the pain you're walking through is the very pain that may be the very thing that brings salvation to their own life someday. In verse 28, you see that discipleship will cost you. It will always cost you. It may even cost you everything. But for people who say, I have no treasure here on this earth, I have no treasure here on this earth, but my treasure is in heaven. That is the greatest treasure that you can ever think of, to know that on earth they may forget my name, but in heaven, everyone knows who I am. Verse 31, we see that discipleship will, uh, will ask you to, to ask what a true win is. Verse 31 says, Or what king going to make a war against another king does not sit down and first consider whether he is able to go to this war or not? And you have to sit down and it eventually says that, that maybe you shouldn't go to war, but maybe you should go and figure out how we can negotiate a truce. Right. And all of a sudden now, instead of you winning another battle, all of a sudden you getting along with somebody is an opportunity to follow Jesus instead of you getting your way once more. What's a true win? When it comes to discipleship, there's some fun Old Testament uh, portions of Scripture you have to look at. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2 this amazing story takes place where Gideon wins a battle with 300 men. Now you may go, well, that just sounds like a miracle. That's great. God's good. But let me tell you where this started. In Judges chapter 7, verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Okay, stop. The Midianites is the, are the enemy of the Israel people. And God 
has told Gideon that he will lead them into battle and God will give them the victory. This incredible victory takes place, but Gideon is able to put together an army of 32,000 men. How cool. So is it 32, 22? We're going to read it here in a minute. It's a lot of people. And it says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. And God says, If you won the battle right now, you would be able to say that you rallied so many people to be on your army that you won the battle and I didn't win the battle. This isn't stronger faith. This is stronger self-confidence. Okay? And he says, Therefore... Proclaim in the hearing of the people, pull all the people together and say, whoever is fearful, everybody listen to me, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart and you can go home at once from Mount Gilead. And that day, 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 people remained. An army of 32,000 people and you're thinking, God, nobody will leave me. Nobody will walk away. Everybody's gung-ho. I mean, look at this. We're an army strong of 32,000 men. But I'll do what you say, Lord. I'll do exactly what you say. Hey, guys, if you're scared, the Lord just wants you to know Probably best you go home. You have full permission, nothing held against you, just go home. And you watch as every second and third man grab their stuff and go back home, and your army is now down to 10,000 people. Can you imagine losing them that quick? But the Lord's not done. The Lord now says, okay, take the 10,000 and go to the river. And I want you to pay attention to everybody and how they drink. So the river's flowing, and Gideon, I want you to look at every one of these men and how they drink, and I will instruct you according to what you see, what you should do. And Gideon noticed that there was a group of men who, when they drank the water, would lean over like this. Okay, Maybe you're a kneeler. Okay. Others would dip with their hand and drink from their hand, and dip from their hand and drink from their hand. And Gideon would walk down through the line and say, you here, you there, you here, you there. And God said, take every man who drinks from his hand and leave every man who kneels when he drinks. And the Lord said to Gideon in verse 7, uh, that's jumping ahead, just, just leave it up there. Of 10,000 men, only 300 drank from their hand. That means on that day, they lost 9,777. 9, Just go with me here. They lost a lot of people, okay? You just went from 32,000 down to 10,000. You just went from 10,000 to 300. And the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. God feels good. Gideon feels defeated. And deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the people go, every man to his place. There's a lot that you can read here that you have to pay attention to. The first one is Gideon. 
Do you have the faith to allow God to disciple your heart to know you will never win his battles? You will never, ever, ever be able to win God's battles. You know why? Because they're God's battles. And discipleship is the understanding that you are the vessel and he is the potter. And it is not your job to figure out how to hold the water. It is not your job to figure out how to win the war. It is your job to be obedient, to be the disciple of Christ, to follow him. And Gideon was willing to go to where nobody else would have gone. If you would have turned to any general in the world, they would have quit. You know why? Because it made no mental sense. But Gideon had faith. And Gideon said, if God be for me, who can be against me? Some of you think that everybody's leaving you. Some of you think that you're all alone. But the fact is that you've probably never had it more together than you do right now. Come on, let's think about this. Some of you guys have made some big moves over the last year. We have a lot of of refugees in New Mexico right now. A lot of people that came in from the oil patch. A lot of people who came here for school. A lot of people for a million different reasons. And you feel pretty alone. The place where you came from was a lot prettier than southeastern New Mexico. And homesickness is a real disease you're going through right now. But can I turn to tell you real quick? You might have lost a lot in obeying God. But you've never been in a stronger place in your faith than you are right now. And God's not destroying your future. He's actually building your future by the faith it took to move to this community you're in right now. And God may move you again. But know this. While you're here, there is a plan that God has for you because of your faith to move here. You may be living in a trailer park right now in a little camper eating, eating hungry man meals from a microwave. Let me tell you what. You will look back on these days and say those were the greatest days of my life where I grew the strongest in the Lord and and my faith has never been stronger and it propelled me to where God wanted me to be all because of the obedience of being where God wanted me to be. A few things about the guys that knelt. There were those that were on their knees and there were those who drank from their hand. And I think it's very important to pay attention to the people who pay attention in life. One of the things about drinking from your hand is that it's a warrior pose. It's a pose of a man always looking on the horizon, always looking at the circumstances around him. He's drinking water, but he's not being naive. He's paying attention as he, as he, as he feels his, his present needs. And as men bend over, they lose sight of everything around them. But there are a few who walk with attentiveness. Be alert with your attitude. Be alert with your mouth. Be alert with your thinking and be alert with your listening. Don't be the fool who bends over to satisfy his needs, but notice that there's something greater than the needs that you have. There's God's calling in your life. There's an enemy always present. There's opportunity also all around you. And if you're bent over constantly trying to meet your present needs, you'll never see the opportunity that presents itself while your eyes are closed, stuck in the water. When God wants you to walk with your eyes open and to be the disciple that he's called you to be. I'm going to wrap this up. 
At Cowboy Junction, there's four areas of growth, faith-wise, that I think you have to pay attention to. We talk about them often. We call it exploring Christ, growing in Christ, being close to Christ, and being Christ-centered. Got that? Exploring Christ, growing in Christ, close to Christ, and being Christ-centered. This is the four-part track process we all need to pay attention to because you are somewhere here. Maybe you're still exploring. You're still figuring this thing out. There's definitely a voice, a tug of your heart. There's something strong about the pull to know God and his plan for your life, and you're exploring Christ. Maybe you've made the decision to accept Christ as your, your Savior, but now it's a growing process. You are the seed in the ground, and daily you're being watered, daily you're being fed, daily you're taking small growths, and you're growing in Christ. And then there's being close to Christ. You've never felt closer to Christ you feel a change in you you're not the same person and the closeness to christ is there but that's not the same as being christ-centered and christ-centered is the discipleship to where everything we do is based on who we are in christ everything we do is based on his way of doing it we live by his kingdom principles we live by his kingdom way And somewhere in here is where you're at. But I specifically want to talk to the ones that are close to Christ and to turn to you and say, hey, listen, what what is keeping you from just making that jump from being close to Christ to being Christ-centered? And to kind of bring this up, I want to look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 7. And you're not going to see it on the screen. Or maybe you will. Maybe you will. There it is. Good job. It says, this is a parable, a four-part parable, where Jesus talks about a sower who goes out and sows seed. And the seed fell on different parts of the earth, and the earth represented hearts of men, okay? And there was one part at the end, right before it fell on fertile soil, that other seed fell among the thorns. And so this is the third seed that falls amongst the thorns, which grew up. Everybody pay attention to that. It saw growth. It saw life. It saw potential. It had strong roots. It had strong stems. It was actually developing a bud. It was growing, and it grew up. And then choked the plant, which means the seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant, which means that the thorns choked the plant. Jesus explains this parable as he jumps down in verse 22. He says, hey, just so you know, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word, making it unfruitful. And I think that's the real issue of why some people don't want to be disciples. If there's so many other distractions that we don't count the cost before we step into the faith to be a disciple. To go back to my fasting. So now what do you do when your head hurts and the migraine's right behind your eye and your shoulders are tense and two knots are right there and right there and you can't go to work because you can't do anything done, but you can't get anything done because you've got monkey brain. Have you guys ever had monkey brain? 
where the monkey in your brain jumps from this tree to this tree to this tree to this tree, and you can't get anything done because all you can think about is the other thing you need to be doing. And so you just call a timeout. Do you quit? Do you never fast again? Do you turn to everybody and say, fasting is just not for me? Or do you dust yourself off, pick yourself up, go back to the Lord and say, I got far too many things choking your word out of my life. And it's not the same distractions as when I was 14 or 24 or 34. But it's stupid little stuff now, Lord, like coffee. like sugar and it's one more thing that's asking me to quit but as a disciple of Christ I count my costs I weigh it out and once again stronger faith is asking me to go deeper to go further and to go where you're asking me to go So, what are things that are keeping you from moving close to Christ, to being Christ-centered? What's choking life out of you? Turn to Brady Bean the other day. Don't y'all tell him I told you this, okay? Brady Bean wants to go to college and play golf. Very proud of the kid. He works so hard. He hits 100 golf balls a day. And then tests himself on 18 golf balls. I'll give you an example. He's going to, on a drive, you hit 18 drives when you play 18 holes. Now, I know there's par threes, but we still figure that 18 holes, 18 drives. He has a percentage figured up that he wants to hit 14 out of 18 greens when he plays. The same thing with his short irons, his long irons, and putting's a whole new test. If he can't hit in the fairway, 14 out of 18 fairway shots then he goes back and hits another 100 golf balls this is how much he wants to do it we went out and played the other day and he played horrible and he turned to me with tears in his eyes broken heart and he says dad I'm working so hard I can't figure out why I'm not playing good golf and I said son you haven't been to the golf course this week and he goes why haven't you taken me? I said, son, it's not my job to take you. It's your job to ask me. He said, dad, how come I didn't ask you? I said, what did you do all week for your summer vacation? You mowed, but what did you do when you got through mowing? And he said, I played my Xbox for six hours. I said, okay, so you got to ask yourself a question. How bad do you want to play college golf? How bad do you want to play at Texas Tech on the golf team? And I don't tell me, I don't want to know. La 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 la. You gotta make that decision. I walked back in the house and Heather turned to me and she goes, What did you say to him? I said, I, I didn't say anything. What, what are you talking about? And Heather goes, He just walked into the den. He unplugged the Xbox from the cords. Everything is still dangling, and he unplugged everything. He walked up to Heather with a controller sitting on it. He laid it in her arms and he said, hide it in the house and don't tell me where it is. True story. And Heather hid it in the house. And if you came to church early today, you would have seen a hundred golf balls in the back of the yard with a bucket. that He's been trying to chip it into that bucket all weekend long. And he spent, my gosh, three hours 
every day this weekend trying to get this chip shot down, trying to get this chip shot down, trying to get this chip shot, chip shot down. I'm going to mess up here in a minute and say something I shouldn't say. <laughs> uh, and I pulled him aside and I said, grown men can't do what you just did, son. There are 40-year-old men in this world who can't say no to their Xboxes to make a decision to do what God's called them to do. And at 14 years old, I could care less if you ever play college golf. Just the fact that you were able to hear God's voice to know that he wants you to be a good golfer. And you were able to say yes to this and say no to that. What weeds are choking life out of God's seeds in you? stronger discipleship requirements for discipleship and there's two number one you've got to love God more than anything else you have got to love God more than anything else and trust me your love will be tested your yes will be tested in Luke chapter 9 verse 59 it says this and he said to another man follow me but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father and my, my father. And Jesus said, go bury your folks. And then we'll meet you in Philippi. It's going to be a great day. Then you can come follow me. He didn't say that, did he? He said, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Sounds harsh. But it's a test. There will be far worse things than your mother and father and their love and approval for what you do for God's kingdom. Let the dead bury their own dead. Come follow me. Number two, the requirements for discipleship. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. And you've got to follow Jesus. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Luke chapter 9, verse 24. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, for my sake, will find it. And will save it. Who am I talking to? Why did this need to be spoke on Sunday, 8.30 in the morning? The cost of discipleship. In heaven... In heaven, they're shouting encouragement. Go for it. There'll be a day you see why. Just do it. I think it's amazing that men name their sons Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they name their dogs Lucifer. <laughs> and and uh, Judas. because they were willing to pay the price can we pray Father today we love you today Father I pray that this message gets in the hearts of your people Father in this room could be addictions just, just something that, that we, we know what that monkey brain feels like we, we know what that knots in our shoulder feels like we know, we know what that, that 
that headache feels like. It could be anything, anything that keeps telling us, don't do it. You can, don't do it. Don't, you don't have to do it. Grace, grace, grace. Don't worry about it. Just, just, just stay where you're at. And, 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 but our heart's telling us something different. Our spirit is telling us we can't be where God wants us to be and stay where we're at. And Father, right now, I just pray for the faith to cast all their cares upon you to lay them down at your feet that they don't have to carry this burden they can literally turn to the Lord you right now and say Father I take this take this burden from me as I follow you Father for every person in this room that they have just continually followed you and followed you but there's a new test there's a, there's a new counting of the cost in front of them there is a moment that we are asked to die to ourselves to find life in you. And I pray for that right now. That you would speak. That this message gave encouragement. And Father, for that person in the room that has done everything you've asked them to do, but they have not yet seen the harvest. I, I, I just pray that today was encouragement for them. That it is sometimes painful. It does sometimes hurt. But you will see victory you will see the light. God is the dawn. And the dawn is coming. Today I pray for just special anointing for their life. Encouragement. Wrap them around with people, Father, that that genuinely have heard your voice to, to, to come alongside them to be who you've called them to be. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. Jesus, I pray for the person that's in this room right now who's just never accepted you as their Savior. Just always thought, if I go to church, that must make me a Christian. And Lord, that, that's the furthest thing from the truth. And I pray right now that they would realize, today, before I leave, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Talk to them right now, Lord. Encourage them. This isn't about joining the church. This is a decision that will affect their life for the rest of their life. Yeah, Lord, talk, talk to them. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, make us stronger disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Pastor Jeff and I are going to go right over here. And, and we would love to pray for you if you're here and you have never accepted Christ as your Savior. Our prayer team's getting ready and they're going to they're gonna be right over here and right over here. And they would love to pray for you. Anything that you've got that's a burden, we just want to stretch our faith out and line it up with yours so that you can, you can see victory in your life. But, uh, but you're going to have to have the faith. That everybody just let, let them move out and you just go over to them. And we want to pray with you. If you've never accepted Christ, meet me over here. I'd love to pray with you. If you would, would you stand to your feet? It's time for us to love God, love people, and have no limits in our life. God bless you this week as you say no to Starbucks. God bless you this week as all of a sudden you begin to weigh out your sugar intake. God bless you this week as you just sit down to a meal and realize... Holy moly, that's a lot of food. Yeah. Wherever you're at, I know this. God's got each and every one of you on your path. 
don't say no to the goodness that God has for you. I love you. Jesus loves you. Don't you ever forget it. It's time to love God, love people, and have no limits in our life. You guys have a great week in the Lord. See you later.